Welcome to the To Read List. I'm Bailey, and this is a podcast where I attempt to get through the 138 unread books on my shelf. With me, as always, is my friend Toby. Hey. My brother Andrew. Sup. And my husband Dylan's the sound recordist. Double sup. <sighs> Guys, I this guess is, you win again. <laughs> this is this is a really silly, really silly thing. Hey, Andrew can quit anytime he wants. <laughs> <laughs> Next week, I'm just not going to respond to Bailey. <laughs> okay, great. Just silence. Dylan will be even quieter. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we are approaching the holidays, and as such, you know, situations are different. People are in different places. Recordings might sound different. I don't know. Andrew, why don't you elaborate? For no reason. Yeah, no particular reason. Um I'm in Maine. Don't worry. I followed all precautions. I was tested. I quarantined and all that. Um, Because of the magic of working from home, I thought, why not spend more of the holiday season with my mom? But in doing that, I brought a microphone in transit, which does not work. So we're trying a slightly different recording setup, which might mean slightly worse audio for me. We'll have it fixed by the next episode, but apologies in advance. Andrew, you know the man who sold you that microphone gave you uh, several simple rules to follow. But you had to feed it after midnight. You had to give it water? You had to give it it? water. (laughs) I actually think that's a real rule about microphones. Don't Don't give them water. I don't think it's don't give it water after midnight. Just don't give a microphone water ever. I'm just picturing someone feeding a microphone. (laughs) Like one of those like little gerbil things where it's like dribbling water on the microphone. Yeah, I know. I did all of that. I just know if we get a microphone, I'm going to be the one taking care of it. So if Andrew sounds different, that's why. Also, guys... Strand Watch 2020. Strand Watch. Strand Watch 2020. Our watch is over. All my books have arrived, finally, six weeks after I ordered them, except for two books that the Strand unceremoniously canceled. They're just like, JK, we don't have those anymore. Um, So Maggie, sorry that you're not going to be getting Where the Wild Things Are for Christmas. Wow, this has become a very surprisingly sad strand wash. I ended up getting it from another place okay. that is like the name of a rainforest, but I don't need to say where. No. No. Um, but anyway, my watch has ended. I finally got those books. For those of you who are concerned that that's over. Also, because of the holidays, I think our listeners, they're probably the target audience for this. I think that they should know what we have in store in our house right now. I'm gesturing towards it. You guys can't see it. It's our Christmas tree. It's made out of books. Oh, Christmas book tree. Oh, Christmas book tree. I think it's very I don't know why you didn't sound confident about that one, Dylan. That was one of your best jokes ever. (laughs) (laughs) I think, you know, it gives me joy. This is the first time I won't be in Maine for Christmas in however many years. 34 years? How old am I? 34. Okay, uh, so this is the first time not being in Maine. I wanted to have a real tree. Dylan said I wasn't allowed to. No, I said the cats would destroy a tree. You said no tree for you. How dare you? Mm -hmm. So -hmm. then I decided to construct some out of the hardcover books. However, when I got halfway through, you might notice at the top are two read list books where I was like, please don't let those ones be chosen because (laughs) I ran out of books. Yeah, we'll throw it on the Instagram because it looks really cool. Okay, I will. Thank you. Toby, I hear you read a book this week oh, that, wait. that was different than your main book. I did. It wasn't this week. I finished it like a week and a half ago. Oh, I'm sorry. Very sad. Um, yes, I promised you last episode, Pejos, that I would deliver to you a review of Rhythm of War, book number four in the Stormlight Archive by Brandon Sanderson. Is it like... Five stars. Okay. Okay. I was going to say... Five stars. The rhythm would be like, ba-dum, ba-dum, ba-dum. Is that... I got the rhythm of Starlight. 
Oh. Rhythm Nation. I just got there just at the end of it, Dylan. Like <laughs> the, first, the first little bit, I was like, what is he saying? So, yeah, I figured, you know, it's... Uh, I can't really give you guys a review of book number four in a series like this. It's so complicated. It's so bizarre. I'm going to give you a quick review of the whole Stormlight Archive. Are you ready? Also, heads up, listeners, this is a three-hour episode. (laughs) (laughs) Here's my review of the Stormlight Archive. Giant crabs. Humongous swords. Depressed hot guys. Secret societies. Magic light. Shard blades. Thank you, Bailey. Yeah, that's a thing, right? Yeah, it is. I, I just, I love this series so much. I know I've talked about it on multiple other episodes, so I don't want to waste your time, Faithful Pages. If you're considering picking up an epic fantasy series, this is very accessible. It's very fun. Uh, you know what you're getting in for when you pick up one of these books? It's an 800-page fantasy book, but man, it's so much fun. And to that point, the audiobook for Rhythm of War was 57 hours, and I had to space it out to make sure I didn't finish it too fast. Aw, that's cute. Yeah, and I'm like, I I think actually my enjoyment of iRobot probably suffered because, you know, like you have a book hangover Mm -hmm. when you finish a really good one and you're like reading the next book and you're like, this isn't the book I was just reading. Don't you just feel like you win the lottery when you get two good books in a row? Yeah, I'm reading two good books right now. It's like, yeah, that's fantastic. Is iRobot one of those two good books? No. No. (laughs) Spoilers. Toby, don't oversell it here. You had me at Depressed Hot Guys. <laughs> <laughs> I had to slip it in there. For people who've read the Stormlight Archive, I know that they're like, ah, yes. <laughs> well, awesome. I mean, if you learned about the book from this podcast, mm-hmm. please let Toby know if you read it, because I'm sure it would make his day. Hit us up on Instagram. Let us know. Yeah. Also, guys, heads up for next episode. You might have remembered it last year. We had our end of the year episode, the Bookend Awards. Mark your calendars, because we got the second annual bookends coming up next week. <laughs> next episode. Not to run my tux. <laughs> Who's hosting? Yeah, they can't find a host this year. Everybody keeps getting canceled. No, it's definitely Joyce Carol Oates. Oh, yeah. JCO. JCO. Uh, I don't remember what the categories are. Uh, something like best book, best protagonist. We'll figure it out. Uh, wasn't there that quiz, too? Like the quiz about like what we remembered? And I think, didn't I win that quiz? No, you lost so hard. Oh. You didn't remember you didn't remember the main oh, character no. of the tree grows in Brooklyn and then you got mad at me about asking that question. The character um, wasn't the tree. <laughs> was it Brooklyn? Um yeah, not much more embarrassing than losing the quiz but also misremembering and thinking you won it. I, I like a Toby land that you just remember it in a better way. Way I'm to a- go, Toby. <laughs> Good job. Yeah, so we'll do that. We'll quiz each other on um, the books that we read to see how much we remember. Please don't ask me the main character's name from Trigos and Brooklyn because I don't remember it. So now's the time, listener, to go back and listen to every single episode so that way you'll be caught up for the quiz. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, you just wait for the part of the episode where we pause for a really long time and we wait for you to, to <laughs> respond, Pejos. All right, so Pejos, check it out. Toby had a book to read from his shelf. Toby, what book did you read? My book was I, Robot by Isaac Asimov. I, Robot, Robots in Literature. Boop, beep, boop. Thanks, guys. (laughs) So here's my logline. I, Robot by sci-fi giant Isaac Asimov is told from the point of view of a nameless journalist as he very loosely tracks the life of Susan Calvin, a robot psychologist, recounting her work with robots from their infancy to complete integration with humanity on a global scale. Infant robots? Baby robots? No, there are no cute baby robots. I realize that's confusingly worded. Three stars. Oh, you mean, oh, like the beginnings of robots. Okay. Yeah, the beginnings of robotics. robotics. I still want to see baby robots, but okay. I'm sorry. 
I was excited to read this book. I'm a big sci-fi person. I like sci-fi. You're a sci-fi guy. I'm a sci-fi guy. <laughs> um, yeah, Asimov is known as, you know, one of the foundational figures of science fiction. This book <laughs> <laughs> Foundations. is familiar to many people, both because it's so famous in the genre and because there was that Will Smith movie that was made. Did you guys see that movie? I, I, I saw the trailer. It was bait. Yeah. <laughs> it's also not super based on no not at all a robot they got the rights after they wrote and like set up the movie and cast it and everything they're like oh i guess we can name it our robot now cool. wow i didn't know that uh, i was excited to read it i was excited to you know i'm interested in going back and seeing kind of where all this stuff comes from and who were the you know people who thought up some of this stuff for the first time um Asimov is widely credited for creating uh the the three laws of robotics the first three laws of robotics number one be cool Number two, don't kill humans. Number three, wink. <laughs> not. You know what? Uh, one out of three, not bad. 33% you scored. Really? Uh, on your robot law. Um, I'm actually going to tell you the, the laws right now. All right. The first law of robotics. A robot may not injure a human being or, through inaction, allow a human being to come to harm. Wink. 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 Uh, second law. Of robotics. A robot must obey the orders given it by human beings, except where such orders would conflict with the first law. Okay. Third law. A robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second law. Okay, so robot, robo robots <laughs> take care of humans unless it's bad for the human, and they can take care of themselves, but humans are more important. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, but you get the idea, which is like, you know, it's a hierarchy of laws with humans at the top. Um, but you can kind of already see, as Bailey is seeing, that, you know, these are good in abstraction, but applied to specific situations. There's lots of conflict that can come up. And that's basically what the whole book is, is it's, it's not really a novel. It seems like a series of short stories in which these three laws are kind of tested in various situations. Like in so. the Avengers. What? What? Well, isn't Kevin Spacey like like that in the Avengers where he's like, we got to kill all the humans. Kevin Spacey? That's what? James Spader. James Spader. <laughs> got to kill all the humans because I'm a robot and that's what I see is going to help more humans. Did I skip that one? Did I think Billy skipped that one too. <laughs> also got to snap my fingers because I'm Thanos. Okay. Oh, see, she knows that one. Keep going. She doesn't watch and Avengers. Then she just reads Vision books. is a robot. Nailed it. It tracks. <laughs> yeah, you got it. Um. So, yeah. The, um. It really is more of a collection of short stories than a novel. Um, doo -doo -doo. As with every collection of short stories, some are better than others. Okay. Uh, the best stories in the collection are incredibly prescient and forward-thinking. Um, they were written probably in like the 40s and early 50s. It's absolutely shocking that he was able to think this far forward. Uh, his ability to foresee problems related to artificial intelligence, automation and human labor, and even space exploration and travel are beyond impressive. The worst stories in the book um, rely on cringeworthy sexism, irritating and flat characters, and boring and repetitive plots. Uh-oh. So, didn't you say he was one of the good ones? Yeah, well, yeah, I, I may have that. spoken too soon. I have only ever read uh, Foundation, which is his other, the first book in his other big series. Uh, and that one, I believe, had no women at all in it. <laughs> so he didn't have an opportunity to deride <laughs> and, uh, and otherwise treat them poorly. <laughs> so I think... Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll go into my orcs. Um, biggest orc is uh, pretty awful sexism. Um, the main character. As what? <laughs> that was a negative for you? <laughs> so Susan Calvin, uh, as I mentioned, is the main character of the book as much as the sh there is a main character. And you can really feel Asimov patting himself on the back 
for making his main character a woman. I wrote a book about a lady, so I get points. Who's yeah. thing? I feminist. <laughs> um, so that would be good if she wasn't a 25% of all the female characters in the book. Uh, the other three are a mother, a daughter, and then a government functionary. And B, slighted at every turn. Um, Susan is constantly described as prickly, annoying, unattractive, um, which she had described at many times as uh, demanding, bossy, basically every other word that Asimov's generation would use to describe confident, competent women. Um, so one, one story in particular um, really seems to delight in ridiculing her. Um, she is kind of the victim of one of the only romantic plots in the whole story, but it's kind of set up to embarrass and kind of just victimize her for having feelings. Mm. Um, it's pretty, pretty bad. Um, but the fact that there's a woman just means that it's okay, right? He just gets a free pass. I mean, you're the one reading Roxanne Gay. You tell me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was rough. It was it was honestly rough to get through. Um, the men, on the other hand, are annoying in a different way. Um, they're all either good guys, in quotes, who all have the same non-funny humor and weird macho banter, or they are bad guys who are evil people with bad intentions but are still described as intelligent and competent in contrast to Susan Calvin, who is not always described as incompetent but is called into question quite a lot okay so we got some one note characters a lot of one note characters also the book is really repetitive um it's about the three laws of robotics and how they kind of interact with each other and how you know as robots get more complex they approach human levels of kind of philosophy and they're able to see shades of gray which is interesting but as a modern reader you're so familiar with these tropes that it's just like you just get it like after the first story you got it and then the next five or six are the same thing in a kind of gradation that maybe if I was reading it in 1950s, I'd be like, oh, this is so confusing and new. I'm so glad it moves so slowly. But as a modern reader, you're just like, oh man, like yeah. this is very slow. And, you know, not to not to denigrate Asimov, there's been, you know, 70 years to iterate on these ideas. Even people who aren't interested in sci-fi these days have seen stuff like, you know, 2001 A Space Odyssey. Like, they have these ideas in their head that they already get all this stuff. So mm -hmm. I think it would be pretty boring, honestly, for most people. Yeah, why would you get a clunky little robot when you could have Siri? Or Hal. Or Hal. I'm sorry, Bailey. I can't continue with the podcast. Oh, no. I'll move on to my elves. Um, those are pretty big orcs. They were they were very hard for me to get through. Um, so the elves, the three laws of robotics, they're a foundation of all modern science fiction, especially related to artificial intelligence and robotics. Uh, you just can't get around how amazing of a contribution this was to a genre that I really love. So that's a big elf. With, without being spoilery, um, I'd say the book starts, it does start to get really interesting toward the very end when robots have kind of become integrated with the entire world and they're kind of helping run things for us, as is honestly looking to be our future, uh, you know, like automation and how much we trust computers to do things for us. And yeah, that actually becomes pretty interesting. It's absolutely incredible that Asimov could conceptualize and write about it in the 50s. Um, and the plot in that part of the book is really interesting. So yeah, that's, you know, at, at its best moments, the book engages with all those ideas in an interesting and even kind of fresh, even for now way. But those moments are few and far between. Um, they are, you know, yeah. So those are my elves. Um, okay. <laughs> overall, I honestly wouldn't recommend reading this one. I read Foundation and liked it a lot more. Foundation is a really cool concept, which is basically Asimov thought about the fall of Rome and how a lot of knowledge and civilization, quote unquote, was destroyed with the fall of Rome with the coming of the quote unquote barbarians. Um, and so Foundation is this cool idea where there's a galactic civilization that collapses as well, but there's one planet that sees it coming and decides to preserve all information and all human knowledge 
knowledge on one planet to try and like save it for future generations. Mm -hmm. That's a cool book, in my opinion, better written, less dated. So Asimov was incredibly prolific. I would recommend that if you're interested in him, go ahead and like do some Googling and figuring out if the book you're thinking about reading is one of the good ones. Um, (laughs) What if I need sideburn advice, though? Well, I mean, he's your man. Um, Yeah, I would say, you know, I I really I was prepared for this one to be creaky and clunky and dated. um, And I was, you know, I knew it would be kind of more of a curiosity piece to see the history of stuff. But honestly, I wouldn't have finished it if it wasn't for this podcast. I found it pretty rough. I found the sexism pretty blatant um, and kind of boring. Um, So how many stars is that? I give it three stars. Okay. It would if it wasn't Asimov, and if I didn't know about his contribution. If I just picked this off the shelf and I didn't know who he who he was, mm-hmm. I would have given it two. But you gotta give the guy props; like he just did so much work for a genre that I love. So a conflicted three stars. Okay. Okay. All right. Beep beep beep. Three stars <laughs> for iRobot. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, Andrew, do you have any facts? I do. You want some facts about Mr. Asimov? Beep. Beep, beep. Beep. Affirmative. Beep, beep, beep. So before we go into the facts, I just want to say there is tons of information out there about this guy. I feel like it's been a minute since I've had a classic, in quotation mm-hmm. marks, author who has so much backstory available. So what I will say is I have focused in on the things that were interesting to me. There is going to be stuff left out. There's tons more on him. Maybe we'll cover him again later. But here's what I found. Asimov was born somewhere between October 4th, 1919, and January 2nd, 1920, in Petrovici, Russia, to a Jewish family. Anything weird about that to y'all? <laughs> hmm. Uh, they d- What? <laughs> yeah, they don't know when he was born. Somewhere between October 4th and January 2nd. That's probably the largest modern range I have seen. I've heard of, like, you know, Cyrus the Great. They don't know exactly the date he was born, but... <laughs> Did he, like, pick his own birthday and pick it to be New Year's Day? Because that'd be cool. Oh, that would be cool. He did pick his own birthday, but he picked January 2nd. Mm. So he he made himself as young as possible. Ah. Interesting. He does know that doesn't actually make him younger, right? (laughs) (laughs) As a child, he was the only survivor of 16 children from an outbreak of double pneumonia that ravaged the town he was born in, which is insane. Um, At age three, his parents and his family emigrated to America uh, and settled in Brooklyn, New York. When they settled in Brooklyn, his family ended up running a series of candy stores where uh, Isaac also worked. He credited the pulp magazines and stories in newspapers for inspiring his budding desire to write, particularly the science fiction uh, pulp magazines. I will say, like, for anybody wondering what his writing style is like, I didn't provide any quotes. But if you're familiar with those old pulp stories, a lot of these strongly resemble those in like the kind of kind of hackneyed plots and like action hero <laughs> stuff like the the bad ones resemble those very strongly well he loved his pulp novels uh he began writing early uh but didn't consider it something that could likely be a career so put writing to the side for a second i'm going to give you the rest of his biography then we'll go back into his writing he went to an extension of columbia university likely denied admittance to the main campus because of his jewish heritage which is something columbia university needs to reckon with if they haven't already i'm sure they have uh where he studied zoology and then chemistry he was rejected from medical school so he never ended up becoming a doctor or did he because eventually he was accepted and completed an mfa in chemistry and also a phd i did not know you could get an mfa in chemistry but you can 
Yeah, it's when you combine all the pretty colors of liquids together and like watch them and they look cool. No, I think it's like when you make elephant toothpaste on the beach like <laughs> and film it for YouTube. That's MFA. I think his thesis is a bunch of volcano explosions. <laughs> yeah, he, he painted a Bunsen burner gold. Yeah, nailed <laughs> this is, it. This is art now. <laughs> During World War II, he worked as a chemist for the Navy and was drafted into the Army. Ironically, he would have been too old for the draft if he had used his earlier birthday. He was just young enough to be drafted, and it was because he insisted on being as young as possible. He never saw combat, though, so it didn't end up, you know, putting him in mortal peril uh, and was honorably discharged shortly after. Uh, He went on to become a professor of biochemistry, and I couldn't quite find the information of whether he continued doing this forever. So basically, he became a professor, got tenure, stopped doing research to focus on his writing. So he wasn't like... His day-to-day life, I, d- I don't think, was being a biochemist. Uh, he married his first wife, Gertrude, who he met on a blind date. So successful blind date there. And they were married for 31 years before they divorced. Uh, Asimov was engaged three weeks after the divorce was finalized. In his defense, he uh, there was a separation, a period of separation beforehand. So I don't think it wasn't quite like, we're breaking up. Okay, I'm marrying this lady named Janet. Hmm. But not great. Yeah, not great. Not a great look. Uh, but yeah, he did remarry a woman named Janet Jepson, who remained his partner until his death. Such a bummer she wasn't named Judy Jepson. That would be very sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Sci-fi guy. Now, on to writing. At a young age, he began writing and submitting his work to magazines and papers, the kind that he really liked um, and that had inspired him. His third ever science fiction story was published, and he was paid the equivalent of $1,000 today for it. What? He was 19. So <laughs> things have changed in how that works. In the, in the short story science fiction market? Yeah. Oh, my dream is to be a chemist, but I guess I'll make money doing short stories. <laughs> Yeah, so this kicked off an incredibly prolific career as a writer of a bunch of different styles of work, mostly in the science fiction realm, but, you know, essays, all kinds of stuff. He pretty much wrote constantly from that point on until he died in 1992. I, Robot, as Toby suggested or, like, hinted at, is made up of short stories, and it was a novel, in quotation marks, that was just made up of stories he already had. He added that framing device with um, with mm. the researcher mm. in the interview. Uh, in. So if it seems a little disjointed, that's because it was not intended to be a book. Interesting. Perhaps that will come back later. <laughs> yeah, mm. there are weird similarities between this research and Roxane Gay, and I was not expecting them. There you go. So I don't usually dwell on the, the deaths of people too much, but this is sort of interesting. Um, he died in 1992 of complications of AIDS, which he contracted. He contracted HIV after receiving a um, blood transfusion during heart surgery. This came out like years after his death because they had kept it very secret. They were worried about the stigma and like causing, they just basically wanted to keep it private, Mm -hmm. which is interesting if you compare it to Arthur Ashe, which I don't know if you know about, but who's a very famous tennis player who like the exact same thing happened to it. I think even from the same hospital. Whoa. Um, And there, it like took over his life, the, the reaction, the public reaction to it. Hmm. Um, so, um, now the crux of my research isn't really the crux because this is going to be very short, but in all this pages and pages of information I read, there were some weird facts and I really would like to share some of them with you. Ooh, I love weird facts. I knew there would be weird facts about this guy. What? What do you mean? What's weird about him? Everyone Google a picture of Isaac Asimov and tell me that's not a guy who has weird facts about him. (laughs) I'm glad you mentioned a picture of him. I would love all of our listeners to look him up and admire his what became signature giant mutton chop sideburns. Mm-hmm. And I don't think, I didn't see a, as many pictures of this, but also look for his signature bolo tie. Um, so yeah, he looks like a science fiction writer as drawn by like a Simpsons artist. Yeah. 
caricature of himself. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's one interesting fact. Uh, another one, he was afraid of flying and only flew twice in his life. Another thing, this is a word I've never heard before. He was a claustrophile. So as it suggests the exact opposite of a claustrophobe, he loved cramped spaces and said his dream was to run a subway newspaper stand and just be underground with trains around him and people going by. What a weirdo. So, yeah, yeah, like many people's nightmare is his cup of tea. Uh, (laughs) He coined a few terms that you may have heard of. He was the first person to use the term robotics. So that's a big one. Less enthusiastically, psychohistory, but apparently was influential things in certain areas. Um, something I thought was funny. He was a big old fanboy, but like, as you could be a fanboy in the 1950s. So like, imagine somebody who's like on all the message boards has like an internet community of like liking Game Game of Thrones or something. He did that, but like with Sherlock Holmes and Gilbert and Sullivan and like had societies that he was the president of that was like, sounds like fun. Yeah, it's it's fun. It's just something like, I didn't know that that was always part of our culture, but apparently it was. I can just imagine someone in like 1955 being like the Gilbert and Sullivan fandom is so toxic. (laughs) So Andrew, are you saying that he's the very model of a Modern Major General? No. (laughs) Because of this last fact. Oh, no. And not to sort of bring us down while we're having such a good time, but he does have a whole section of his Wikipedia dedicated to, and I quote, behavior towards women. So, yeah. Never a good subheading to see. No. Um, And even the product of the time excuse doesn't really work because there are quotes of people like pointing out how like gropey and... uh, inappropriately touchy he was um Mm. he himself is like weirdly introspective about it there are quotes about him thinking about it i mean if you're being called inappropriately creepy in the 1950s as a man not a good sign yeah yeah not great um and it's it's specifically he's like oh it was weird this 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 old man grabbed my butt but i do this to young women all the time and it's appropriate then What gifts? It's like if My Chemical Romance came up to you and was like, Dylan, you're wearing too much eyeliner. You'd be like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. What if that old man was Isaac Asimov from the future coming back to teach him a lesson? (laughs) You're a pervert. Yeah, add him to the list of uh, not as nice people as you'd like them to be. Coming soon to our online store, not as nice as you'd like them to be. A gigantic poster. A scratch-off poster. Yeah. When you finish scratching it off, it's just a sad face. Yeah, (laughs) like a barfing face. (laughs) And yeah, that's... So that's what I have. There's so much more on him. Maybe he'll come up again uh, during our podcast. But uh, for now, that's what I got. Awesome. Well, great facts. Great Um, facts, Andrew. Beep, beep, beep. Three stars. Three beeps. Three stars. Bailey, you read three books this week? No. No. Was I supposed to read three? Did you read negative three? No. How many did you read? Just one. Oh, that's good. Don't mean to be difficult. (laughs) (laughs) I read Difficult Women by Roxanne Gay. Difficult, difficult, difficult. Yeah, what do I say? I don't know. <laughs> uh, so first off, I just want to say that for those of you who listened to the last episode, I said, this is a book about rape culture. That's a different Roxanne Gay book called Not That Bad, which I thought I was reading, but this is a different book that I read. Um, difficult Women is a collection of 21 short stories that follow, quote, difficult women. So, you know, women who've had traumatic pasts or who are, quote, too loud, to strong-willed, whatever. Um, And in in the same way as in her essay collection, Bad Feminist kind of, you know, makes you think about the word bad feminist. This makes you think about the phrase difficult women. Sounds like Dr. Susan Calvin, robot psychologist, would be under this, filed under this uh, heading. There you go. So difficult. No, that's probably the sequel problematic sci-fi authors. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, so, so it's a collection of short stories, and it's fiction. So I, I had never read any fiction by Roxane Gay before, even though she's written a fair amount. I'd read Hunger and Bad Feminist, which I both I liked those a lot. And so in general, that leads into My Elves, which is, I think Roxane Gay is an incredible writer. She has excellent um, descriptions, excellent dialogue, excellent dark, twisted premise premises premises i think premises premises all right so so this is an example of her writing style which i think is just awesome this is from page 166 in my book from the story best features later when he fell asleep as he lay on top of her the whirls of hair on his chest would tickle her uncomfortably and she would say nothing she would say nothing but her anger just a bit of it would trickle from between her lips down her neck resting at the base of her throat it burned yeah, it's very good. Yeah, yeah, I like it. She she uses strong description and interesting twisted dark imagery to point out things that we all can relate to. She also uses a little bit of dark humor. So this is, for example, um, the opening of a story called Open Marriage. We are having a heated debate about whether or not yogurt can expire when my husband suggests we stay together but see other people. He says open marriage intrigues him, that he couldn't be happier, but that he read this article online. I tell him yogurt cannot expire because it is filled with bacteria. <laughs> it just goes back and forth with them talking both about yogurt and about the open marriage at the same time. And I just loved it because Dylan and I have not had that conversation, but what? it felt <laughs> it felt very real to, to like a long-term marriage to, to be handling two things at once. Yogurt can go bad, right? I think it can. Yeah, it can go really bad. It's really gross. So yeah, so strong dialogue, strong descriptions, and the premise, premises... <laughs> premises are really great. Um, one example, one of my favorite stories was about a woman who is married to a man who is an identical twin. And so he and his twin keep switching places in the marriage with her and they don't know that she knows. And she actually likes the twin more than the guy that she actually married. Um, and that was really interesting. That's a cool premise. Cool premise. Um, and so those parts were really great. Kind of similar to what you're saying about Isaac Asimov. <laughs> <laughs> where the stories that are good are really good and the stories that are not so good kind of bring it down overall. So those are all my elves. This is my orc. This is a big orc for me, but for other people, it may it may not affect you, may not bother you. This is my orc. Of the 21 stories, about 10 of them are about almost the same themes. So they almost all of them follow a young academic woman who's often biracial, who's in the um, North Country of Michigan, really cold winters, and she has had a traumatic past um, and therefore likes to be treated badly in bed. And her she gets involved with a lumberjack who is kind of standoffish. And then sometimes she also has a crush on a woman. They, this, these are very specific things that come up in like 10 different stories mm. um, to the point where sometimes even the character has the same name. Like I think the name Anna comes up in like three different stories. And so it's not, it's not a problem with Roxane Gay's writing. Like the first story I read, I was like, oh, that was great. It was just you read the next one. You're like, wait, didn't I just read this one? Um, and then it just keeps happening. And there might be like little twists, but it's like to the point where it felt like this must have actually happened to Roxane Gay or it must... Um, relate to her life because it's just the same things over and over again. Um, and I really wanted the book, as, as a book called Difficult Women, I wanted it to be about a lot of different women and tackling the idea of that phrase, difficult women from different characters, but it was just sort of the same one a bunch of times. So I would have rather it be a lot of like fewer stories or one novel that's about that one character. Fair. And I also 
based on what I know about Roxane Gay, she, in the last story, uses all those details, but then also gets into the backstory of the character, which is a traumatic rape um, that takes place in a cabin that is pretty much what I know actually happened to Roxane Gay. So that also made me think, like, are these stories her catharsis getting through her own life, which is valuable, but I just don't know that I need to read 10, 10 different versions of it in the same book. And that might sound harsh, but that's how I feel. Well, just looking at the book on the table, it seems like, I mean, if you took 10 stories out of it, it would be pretty thin, but that's fine. People like sh- short you yeah. know, collections of short stories. It kind of felt to me, and maybe this is harsh, that, you know, Roxane Gay was was very successful with Bad Feminist or what have you. And so they thought, oh, let's let's put together all the stories she's written in the past 10 years without the editor thinking, oh, maybe I should take that one out. I don't know. Maybe this one's repetitive. Hmm. So, yeah, it, it, I, I that took away from my liking of it. So I would ultimately give it three stars versus, you know, Roxane Gay as a writer, I think is a five star writer. Just for me, this book, just a three star. Short story collections are hard, man. There you go. Three Star Central today, huh? Three Star Central. Three Star Central. Yeah. And if you like Roxanne Gay, check it out. But for me, I don't know that I'll keep it on my shelf. But Andrew, do you have any facts? I do. There are some weird similarities between Roxanne Gay and Isaac Asimov that also seem to extend to these two books. Really? Whoa. I mean... That is weird. <laughs> yeah. I mean, some of it's a stretch, but I'm still going for it. Roxanne Gay was born in Omaha, Nebraska on October 15th, 1974 to Haitian immigrant parents. So, like Asimov, he had immigrant parents. She has immigrant parents. Okay, that's one. Uh, She went on to attend the famous Phillips Exeter Academy in New Hampshire and later Yale University, though she dropped out to pursue a relationship, which has a fascinating backstory to it, actually. Uh, She met a guy online and is is forefront... But it's forthright that she was processing a lot of horrible things that had happened to her and just decided to like obsessively like take this leap that was probably not a great decision and move to Arizona with him. And she won't say what she did there. She says it wasn't illegal. But, you know, if you're saying it wasn't illegal, mm. what are you doing? Nobody um, said it was illegal. Like, that's the weird part. She That relationship did not last forever. Um, and she left back for the East Coast, completed her undergraduate degree at Norwich University, and then went on to get an MFA and a PhD at Michigan Technical University, which is in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. What did I say? Hmm. What did I say? Hmm. Are there lumberjacks there? I mean, I can't prove that there aren't. Um, (laughs) After her studies, much like our buddy Isaac, she became a professor teaching at Eastern Illinois University and then Purdue, uh, which she left very publicly in 2018 due to their failure to address pay discrepancies and, uh, you know, provide an equal working environment. Most recently, she was a professor at Yale. So what goes around comes around. Roxanne is back, Yale, and maybe she uh, finally returned that library book. I don't think it's (laughs) Yale's fault that she went to Arizona. What if she downloaded Tinder while she's at Yale and it's like, oh, no, not again. (laughs) She kicks open the doors. I'm back, Yale. They're like, oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, cool. great. Yeah, no, you you left, so I mean that's cool. As long as you didn't do anything illegal. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Um, so as Bailey alluded to, uh, she survived a sexual assault by someone she considered her boyfriend when she was twelve years old, which dramatically altered the course of her life. She speaks very uh, directly to this matter um, in a lot of different forms, but I. I would recommend because I don't feel comfortable being the one who like tells her story in any detail, in, but it is really important to her biography. Um, I recommend looking up a, a, an article where she goes into that. Um, one I found that um, does that is an interview with The Guardian um, by Kira Cochran um, called Roxanne Gay, Meet the Bad Feminist. 
So check that out if you want to read more about her story. In fact, I just recommend checking out interviews with her in general. She's a, she's kind of she's a very entertaining interviewee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I forgot to say this, too. In general, with this book, which is kind of what Andrew's talking about, a lot of content warnings for sexual assaults, abuse and the death of a child. Just so you know, going in. Gay also, like Isaac Asimov, began <laughs> writing at a very young age. Um, she primarily wrote essays. Um in 2011, she published her first short story collection, which was titled Aiti, uh, and has steadily published new work across a variety of genres since then, including Bad Feminist in 2014 and Hunger in 2017, both of which I believe are on my to-read list. Ooh. Pretty exciting. She is bisexual and recently eloped with her now wife, Debbie Millman. According to the reputable source, Wikipedia, <laughs> they are going to have a large ceremony post-COVID um, where the officiant will be Gloria Steinem. So Cool. Yeah. A good feminist. As Bailey has alluded to, Difficult Women was mostly written during her time as a PhD student in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, but was shelved because it was deemed marketable. What follows is um, some quotes from a Vogue interview. Whenever I say quote, this is that's Roxanne Gay speaking. These stories actually predate all that. She wrote most of them during her days as a graduate student at Michigan Technical University on the Upper Peninsula. Difficult Women proved difficult to sell. Quote, a lot of editors thought it was too dark and depressing, she remembers. I told one, that's exactly what I'm going for. Mm. So continuing the quote from that article, she shelved the project until the success of an untamed state and bad feminist allowed her to revive it. And then, as Bailey maybe suggested, they were like, what else you got? Yeah. <laughs> so not surprising, but um, a person of color, also not a male, writes something, you know, too controversial, too dark, blah, blah, blah. All of a sudden you have a famous name and your work is taken seriously. So, yeah. 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 Well, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I just um, did. No, 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 no. Yeah. One thing I'll leave you with uh, on our facts about Roxanne for the day uh, is a quote um, from that same Vogue interview about the title, um, Difficult Women. Quote, I think women are oftentimes termed difficult when we want too much, when we ask for too much, when we think too highly of ourselves or have any kind of standards. I wanted to play with this idea that women are difficult when in reality, it's generally the people around them who are the difficult ones. Justice for Susan Calvin. And that that leads, I forgot to say that the there's a um, dedication to the in the book, which is for difficult women who should be celebrated for their very nature. So that that's the thing that I liked about the book and I like about Roxanne Gay. She celebrates women. Great job, Andrew. Great facts. Um, Good job, Andrew. Thank you. Difficult Women by Roxanne Gay. Three stars. Roxanne Gay, five stars. Andrew, I have a shocking confession. Oh, no. I'm a robot powered by quizzes. Can you help me out? I'm low on power. Oh, you actually came to the perfect person. Oh. <laughs> Thank. This is great. Robot I, I'm God. A, I'm a difficult woman who loves games. <laughs> You're also perfect for this situation. Oh, great. All right. So I have a quiz prepared for both <laughs> for this situation. I didn't come up with a good snappy title this time. Uh, so I titled it, Welcome to My Fake University, which is more of a statement than a title. Um, but welcome. I feel very welcome. The way the game is going to work this week is I have a list of real college courses taught in these United States um, that are a little interesting. And then I have a list of fake ones I made up. And you're going to have to tell me which are which because Isaac Asimov and Roxanne Gay were both professors. Credit where credit's due. I got most of my weird college course titles from blog.cheapism.com slash weird college classes. So... I have a virus on my computer now. <laughs> I was going to say, that's a website that's got a lot of pop-ups. Mm-hmm. There's no there's no padlock icon to the left of that one, is there? Do you want cookies? Ooh, cookies. 
So the way the game will work is I will read one of those. You'll each take turns and you'll tell me if it is real or fake. First person to get to four points wins the game. I love winning the game. It gives me extra power of my robot body. I've already remembered that I win the game. (laughs) (laughs) So Bailey, you've been randomly chosen to go first. Congratulations. Yes. All right, here it is. Your first choice. Tell me if this is a real course or a fake course. Wordplay, colon, a rye plod from Babble to Scrabble. Babble to Scrabble. Uh, I think that's fake. I am so sorry, Bailey. That is a real course. Hmm. Taught at a school called Princeton. Hmm, never heard of it. Sounds like a fake university. All right. Well, Toby, you have the advantage now. Are you ready for yours? Yes. Street fighting mathematics. Street fighting mathematics. That sounds fake to me. Well, it sounds fake, but it's very real. <laughs> Where is that taught? Mortal Kombat University? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's taught at a school called MIT. That oh. is what the M in MIT stands for, though. <laughs> yep. It stands for Mortal Kombat University Institute of Technology. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever you get your diploma, they just say, finish him. <laughs> I was going to say they rip your head off. <laughs> the commercials are, get over here. <laughs> So you guys are doing badly. How dare. Let's see if this gets any better. Um, If I lose this quiz, I die. All right, Bailey, it's your turn. Okay. Here we go. Game of Crones, witchcraft in popular culture from Rome to today. Okay, see, I think that's fake because I think there'd be, witches would be before Rome. It would be like old school druids. So I say fake. And that is correct. Mm. I shouldn't have put so many specifics on it. I tried to I tried to make it so specific you'd think it was real. Mm-hmm. Toby, your turn. Mm-hmm. Because Dave Chappelle said so. That's the entire title? I'm going to say that's real. It's so bizarre. It is real. Mm. It is a course I took at Vassar College. I was going to say, that sounds very familiar. <laughs> yeah, it was taught by KSA Landon. Cool. It's cool. Good class. Sounds cool. So Toby has a point, too. We're tied one to one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, Bailey, it's your turn. Okay. Wasting time on the internet. Ooh. Hmm. No, fake. I think it's real. I'm sorry, Bailey, that is incorrect. <sighs> it is a real course taught at the University of Pennsylvania. Hmm. I think it needs a colon something something, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Toby, your turn. All right. I Kermit, The Muppets and Adaptation. Not real. That is correct, Toby. Yeah. And it is not taught at Mortal Kombat University. <laughs> What's the score? Uh, the score is two to one in favor of Toby. Boo. I remember it differently. <laughs> <laughs> Arguing with Judge Judy. Oh, I think this is real. I say yes, real. That is correct. It's a real course taught at UC Berkeley. Mm, cool. All right. So tied two to two, but Toby has, it's now his turn. The physics of home runs. Physics of home runs. I'm going to say for sure. Uh, it's a real course. It is for sure not a real course. Oh. It's pretty simple. You hit a ball far. You know what? Um, You're out. <laughs> Strike three. So we're tied two to two. I'm running out of answers, but we'll see if someone can get to three and thus the precipice of victory. Okay. Simpsons and philosophy, colon, the dough of Homer. Oh, this is definitely real. That wordplay. Chef's kiss. <laughs> Okay, you're right, but I'm insulted that you think I can't come up with clever wordplay. <laughs> this is another one of those Berkeley bangers uh, from UC Berkeley. All right, Toby, it's really important that you get this correct, because otherwise Bailey will have a chance to win. Okay. No Direction Home, the lyrics of Bob Dylan. Real. No, it's oh. fake. There is a Bob Dylan class at my alma mater. I was going to say, there's got to be like 
a hundred Bob Dylan classes. But I don't think it's called that. Oh, well. I'm sure that, yeah, there's got to be Bob Dylan courses. I think No Direction Home is a Bob Dylan documentary, yeah. which is why I felt safe that it wasn't used. You fool. Toby, I'm... I think I've seen that documentary. <laughs> Toby, I'm sure the answer is blowing in the wind somewhere. Uh, how many roads must a man walk down to win a dang quiz? No, can we just keep play, lady play? <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> that was the best one. <laughs> that was really good. Play, lady, play. <laughs> All right, Bailey, it all comes down to this. Can you win the game mm-hmm. <laughs> and become the queen of everything? The worst book I ever read, colon, revisiting the classics we just didn't get. I think that's not a class, but I think it's a book. So fake. You are correct. Yes, 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 yes. This is a class I tried to, when I was a research assistant, I tried to get my professor to teach. <laughs> Where the conceit of it was going to be that everyone, it was like a seminar level course that you had to apply for and you would each bring in a book that ever, that was widely loved that you just really hated and you would talk about it and maybe convince yourself that it was actually good. So instead you just made a podcast. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it sounds like the concept of a podcast. <laughs> so I win. Yeah. Congratulations, Bailey. You have, you have taken the lead irrevocably. You are the champion and Toby, Tobe Bot, unfortunately, cannot be powered on quizzes. Goodbye, cruel world. I'm going to continue to be difficult. Yay. Okay. Well, I win the game. And so now it's time. That was a good game, Andrew. Good game, Andrew. I forgot to say that. Um, Now's the time on the podcast where Dylan gets to shine. Dylan, please choose books at random from our shelves because it's time for The The Choosening. The Choosening. I mean, I think I shine throughout the podcast. Uh, Toby. Yeah. Toby, uh, you don't have any kids, right? No, I don't. No children that you can think of? You have Children of Blood and Bone, number 75, by Tomi Adeyemi. I I am really worried that you're going to hate this book. Me too, considering I've abandoned it once. Why did you put it on the list? Um, You should sign up for two class. You know, like, there's books you want to give another chance. Mm -hmm. Why do you think I'm going to hate it? I I know that Toby likes fantasy, and I know that Toby likes YA, but I don't know that Toby likes YA fantasy. This is not anything that I've... I know. I can't even think of a YA fantasy book that you've read. I just have a feeling. Harry Papa Potter. It's also kind of a romance, and I don't know. I like romance. Okay. You know what? Now I I have to love it. There you go. We'll see. (laughs) Okay. Okay. And guess what, guys? Lost in all this, it's also on my list. Oh. And Bailey. Yes. I bet your reasons for that have disappeared, have gone up into thin air. What? Oh. <laughs> Number 53, John Krakauer, Into Thin Air. Oh, okay. Uh, I used to teach the book Into the Wild, and I, I like that book. It just dawned on me now that both of those books start with Into. Yeah. Me too, actually. For a while, I thought that <laughs> all of his book. books were going to start with that, like Into the Banner of Heaven, but no, no, he changed it up. I'm excited for this book. I know it's about Everest. I know it's John Krakauer, and... I'm sure everything's going to go great with the people on Everest. So in two weeks on the podcast, we have our annual bookends awards. Two weeks after that, Into the Wild by John Krakauer for me and Girl, Woman, Other by Bernadine Evaristo for Andrew. Thanks for listening to the To Read List. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email the To Read List podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Goodreads at goodreads.com slash the To Read List podcast and on Instagram at the To Read List podcast. Um, If you enjoyed this podcast, please go onto your podcast 
rater of choice, Apple Podcasts, and rate us five stars. Write a little review. Um, it means so much to us. Um, and uh, there's another robot around you who's also powered by five-star reviews, so you don't want to kill him, do you? Um, also, if you enjoyed the podcast, something you could really do to help us out is tell a friend or anybody uh, who you think might be interested about it. Word-of-mouth advertising is still the best way we find new listeners and the best way to keep robots alive, frankly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. Thanks to Toby and Andrew for co-hosting the podcast with me, to Dylan for sound recording, and to Miss Jillian Beth Durkee for composing our intro song. See you in two weeks. Happy reading. Folks, folks, folks. folks. folks.